time. Why people become internet trolls. Mike, you want to do this week's intro? Okay. What is it, episode 10? Nine. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yes. You're sure? Yes. I'll just say the next episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Claptrap, the pod with where we talk nonsense and... No, I'm kidding. Let's do that over. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Take it from the top. All right. You Sorry. Just, I you show just, up with the countdown. No, no, no. You should troll me one time and just not edit it out. Edit this out. Just put it in there. <laughs> I was actually thinking that. Just from when I said we are rolling, just keep everything in. Yeah, just keep everything in. But it'd be funny if you could see my face. But then you'd, yeah, anyway. Yeah. All right. Take it from the top. Take it from the top. Okay. All right. Count me down. And we're rolling. We're rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of Claptrap. The best podcast you've ever heard. Just kidding. Martin, I'm feeling I'm feeling different this week. I, I don't know. There's something different in the air this week. I feel something like in the air down in Miami. Oh man. Well, there's always something in the air down here. It's disgusting. I mean, <laughs> did you know did you know that the manatees here are dying because wait for it? Ocean pollution? Yeah, but do you know why it's getting polluted? Because the sewage systems are leaking into the water, which are killing what the manatees eat. And they're Ooh. literally starving to death. Now, let me back up four seconds. Sure. Sewage is leaking into the water. In Miami. I, a I, city I, known for its beaches. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I'm optimistically telling myself that it's more... Because manatees are... Are they freshwater? I don't know if they're freshwater. Mm-hmm. But I'm optimistically telling myself that they're more like the, the sewage is more likely to like, I don't know, gather itself in like the little Bay areas and the rivers and stuff. Like I live on the Miami river yeah, and that there are manatees there. I don't think they're in the ocean. So that's how I'm keeping myself, um, letting myself sleep at night. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what you, but, what's going on with the sewage system. Why is that happening? Oh, I don't know. Miami's a shittily run city, just like most other cities. I don't know. Yeah. The, infra- the other infrastructure in this country is like way too old. I mean, oh yeah, a lot of stuff is crumbling. I think that's what that was a big part of what Biden wanted to get elected on is the whole infrastructure deal, right? Just give you know one trillion dollars or more probably to just infrastructure project projects, fix yeah. roads, bridges, train tracks, everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it really goes far enough if I remember, but no. But there is something different. There's something different. You know why? Because I'm feeling, I'm feeling like we need to take this podcast a different direction this week. Let's do it. I'm open for whatever. What do you have in mind? All right. All right. I'm thinking that instead of us, you know, trying to drop knowledge on the world, which mm-hmm. I think we're good at. I think we're good at. You know, okay. maybe I'm not saying other people couldn't also acquire that same level of knowledge, but we take the work out of it for them. Because not only do we acquire it, but then we analyze it for them. I'm thinking this week, let's just. Let's just get philosophical. Let's just talk about like topics in a, from a philosophical perspective. Sure, it sounds great. Things that don't have like a what to them. We don't have to explain what it is. We just have to philosophize. Sure. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, it could be anything. It could be anything. Oh my god. Oh my god. Where to start? Where to start? Fuck. Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about student loan forgiveness. Okay. I know this one kind of sounds like. Uh, um, it kind of sounds like some of the political stuff we've been talking about, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not thinking about it from that perspective. I'm thinking about this simply from a 
uh, I don't know, like a moral and ethical perspective. I, sure. There are, this is something that is probably going to happen. Um, the Biden administration's going to do like $10,000 forgiveness for people. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, there's a couple of reasons. One, our student loan is high, but also like they probably just want to, they probably want to make themselves look good. Yeah, of course. And there are a lot of competing thoughts on this. A lot of people don't want this um, because if they feel like if they've paid their dues and their debts mm-hmm. and they've paid off their loans and they didn't go to an expensive school, why should they have to not have this benefit and also indirectly or directly paid for the burden of others yeah. uh, and the debt that they've accumulated? Right. Because ultimately the cost in some way or another falls on the, the taxpayer, right? Yeah. And also like, wouldn't you feel bad if you did all that work and you didn't get the benefit of this thing that you could have had the benefit from if you just didn't pay? Maybe I would have that as just an immediate knee-jerk reaction if I had um, student loans. I don't. So I'm very grateful for the fact that I don't have student loans. Um, But if I did, I think that I would immediately feel, okay, it's unfair. I had to pay my student loans but other people are going to get off the hook. If it's only $10,000, that probably doesn't cover the full amount of student loans for many people, because I think most people have higher student loans than that. But I think then after just a few moments of reflection, I would think that, you know, change, positive change on a social or society-wide scale, it has to come at a cost at some point. Uh, And I feel like this is something that people could be okay with if they just take a moment and say, you know, this is good for those people. Times were different when I had to pay mine, but maybe this is a net positive overall. Maybe we can sort of start changing the culture around uh, the cost of education in the United States. And maybe this is uh, the, this is the inroad to that. I kind of, would you feel bad about your children having their student loans uh, being forgiven? later on in life or because maybe you didn't. And then I actually kind of, I agree with you, I think in general, Um, but sorry. Oh my God. Is that your dog? It is my mother-in-law's dog. We are dog sitting a moody Corgi today. All right. It's not just me, everyone listening. It's not just me with the loud ass dog. Martin also has a loud ass dog. So now, now you can set in contest with the neighbor dog. Well, yeah, you can send him angry tweets or whatever we... How do we get feedback from people? Uh, Usually through Facebook and Instagram so far. All right. I'm sure most of you have Martin's personal number. Just let him have it. (laughs) Anyway... Um, no, I, I tend to I tend to agree with you. And and I, I should also say that I don't have student loans. Yeah. But my wife has student loans. Mm-hmm. And 10K wouldn't make a dent in the loans that she has. Okay. Really? Yeah. I mean, but but I I guess I do, and maybe this is like maybe this is somewhat from a place of privilege or whatever, but yeah, I do kind of agree that this is a problem. The amount of student debt that we have is a problem. In and there are US lots of in the US, yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of reasons you can point to to um, understand why that happened. Some of it is personal accountability, but that's not all of it. Yeah. It's not all personal accountability. A lot of it is, you know, certain um, predatory kind of lending practices from like for, or for profit colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Some of it is just the fact that every single university has raised their tuition by like insane amounts over the yeah. last 20 years. Um, and then, you know, some of it is how, you know, the fact that you need, it's, it's, it's harder to get a job 
without a four-year degree. Yeah. And oh, the people sure. who have four-year degrees make more money over their lifetime by by quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it's not just like, well, you weren't smart about it. Now, th- I think that's a very facile way of looking at it. Like, yeah. if you expected, like, people are mostly rational. If you got into a school when you're 18, mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way, and you expected that you would have a you know lucrative career from it, you know, you probably figure that somehow you'd be able to take care of it as somehow yeah doesn't fully justify it but mm-hmm. the, but i guess for me like the bottom line is there's however much what i don't know one and a half trillion dollars i'm just guessing of student uh, debt i actually and, looked it up i have it right here if you're interested i'm interested 1.825 so 1 trillion 825 billion yeah dollars that's just of crazy. total federal student debt in the u.s as of right now that's just crazy. And like, yeah. we know this, the federal government, you know, will, will guarantee student loans for any citizen. Yeah. Um, I guess what, I guess my point is that this is a problem and how we got there isn't as important as trying to relieve some of the pressure of that problem. Yeah. Cause it's crippling. It actually has long-term uh, costs for everybody. Um, it, it, harms the economy when people aren't competitive because they're just crushed by debt throughout their entire life. It's yeah, what are the, what, in a way to just say that everybody should, I don't hope, I hope that doesn't sound offensive, but maybe it is a form of short sightedness to say that people shouldn't have a benefit because I never had it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can move past things. If you can, maybe, maybe there, you need to bring in some ironic forgiveness towards other people say like, it's good that people have opportunities that I never had and I'm happy for them. Maybe this can lead to something good. I think there's also like, there has to be, and this is something that I feel like is very conspicuously absent from this country. And I can give other examples of where I think that's the case. Yeah. But there also has to be recognition that everything is connected. And when, like you said, when the burden is and that pressure is relieved on other people, that doesn't just mean they're going to be happier and like in some magical way that will benefit you. It's very, mm-hmm. it's very easy to make that draw the conclusion of how it will benefit everyone. Yeah. If people aren't spending money to pay back student loans, yeah. that means that they can choose to do something else with that money. And that yeah. something else means more spending. And that more spending means that businesses are getting paid because that's where you spend money. Yeah. And that business getting paid is how they hire people or it mm-hmm. could be your business. Yeah. Or it could be a stock that you own or something, but you will benefit in that way. So why would you want yeah. to, you know, have the economy in this like straitjacket yeah. of st- just because you didn't get the benefit? I feel like it couldn't be more short-sighted. I, I yeah. do just want to, I want to just nod to like, I want to just make a nod to like, I understand why people don't want to feel stupid. Like, like, but, but how many people does that really represent? Like, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, yes, I'm sure that there are, there are people who pay back their loans. They work really hard to do it. I yeah. totally acknowledge that. I know those and people. Like, I know people have done that. Yeah. And, and I respect them for doing that. I would understand if they felt a little annoyed by this, but like you said, take a look at the bigger picture Yeah, and this shouldn't really be that controversial. Now here's also a different angle or uh, just a, a different way of looking at it. If those people who work their ass off to pay down their student debt, during that time that they were paying it down, if they were given the option of having their student debt forgiven or student loan forgiveness for them, and they were included in it, would they turn it down? 
who wouldn't accept a loan forgiveness? Let's say you owe $100,000 because of your college and and higher education, Uh, you know, your, your, uh, what do you call it? Master's degree or a PhD or something, you owe $100,000. And somebody says, hey man, we're gonna forgive that. You've paid down this, you pay down 40 grand of it, but we're gonna forgive the rest of it. And you're free to move about your life and plan your further career without having to worry about that uh, weight on your shoulders. Who would turn that down? And if you would accept it at that point, I think you should probably be able to, with a little bit of soul searching, find it in you to be able to um, allow that for others. You know what this reminds me of? What? I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a parallel, and it might be it might be rough, but I'll try to get us there. Okay. When we think about um, during the Trump presidency, when they were trying to like save all these coal mines and mm-hmm. shit. You know, coal, not not just coal mines, but like coal burning power plants, which are like extreme polluters and like very inefficient power producers. Yeah. And I think about like those people who really wanted their coal mines to stay open and they wanted their way of life that they were accustomed to to remain as it was. Okay. And of course, that's understandable, right? Yeah. But there was never seemed to be an acknowledgement of how if we make this change now, it will benefit you in the future. It will lift everyone up because yeah. if you replace, if you shut down coal burning power plants and coal mines, yeah. you replace them with some type of green energy producing job or something, right? Yeah. And maybe you don't have the skill today to like work in those kinds of jobs. So maybe the government could like incentivize those companies to, to hire people and train them or whatever. Yeah. But regardless, like not just in this in a similar vein to the student loan forgiveness thing mm-hmm. not having our um our economy you know like i said it's being put in a straitjacket by climate change yeah or by you know the fight to try to like to try to move on from you know um um coal burning energy to another type of energy yeah is going to benefit everyone in a lot of different ways there will yeah. be more jobs that are higher paying because there's going to be money put into green energy sectors investors are going to put money into it they're not yeah. putting money into coal coal mines yeah and so maybe it wouldn't help you today but in the long run we'd all be better off because the rising tide lifts all ships yeah and 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 that's to say nothing of the fact that like hey maybe the environment would be a little bit better, which also helps the economy, which is also good for your, your kids, uh, just the future generation. But you have to acknowledge that it is hard to vote or act against your own self-interest in the present. Because if you vote for the candidate who's going to take office and then shut down your, um, shut down your, the place where you work, shut down your, your, uh, your employment opportunities, and then with no certain guarantee that you're going to be able to find a new job within a reasonable time frame. Like it's hard to blame people for not wanting their jobs to disappear, but also you have to find some sort of trade-off or, or balance against the benefits of doing that and moving on to some other form of, uh, of, you know, energy source that doesn't pollute the same way that that does. And by the way, I just want to, I, I heard this at some point from, uh, I think it was David Frum, who's a, a political commentator and writer, who pointed out that it's very strange to hear Republican or conservative politicians talking about saving coal miners' jobs when you consider how very few people there are left in the U.S. that work in the coal industry. 
There are more <laughs> yoga professionals in the United States than there are coal mining professionals in the United States. And there are more green jobs, green energy jobs in the state of California than there are coal miners left in the entire country. Uh, so you wouldn't think that they are such a major uh, base <laughs> of constituents that they keep getting pandered to. I don't know why. Do you know why? I, I have very strong thoughts on that. What do you um, tell me? And, and this is getting off topic of student loans, but I think that's okay. I think philosophy tends to do that, right? It tends, <laughs> we tend to draw parallels to other things to try to like, to try to make sense of what we're feeling, right? Yeah, so, so I think we're okay to do that. And, and if yeah, you man, don't- This is a freewheeling episode of Claptrap, so you can go wherever you want with this. All right, just don't at me, listeners, okay? Uh -huh. Nobody has yet, but you might, because I made that. my first Instagram post. Yeah. <laughs> anyway- um, so I think the reason for that is, and this is just my own thoughts that I've sort of developed over time. There are certain groups of people or, or certain people rather in, you know, that, that are symbolic of things yeah. and they're symbolic of the everyman. And these people tend to be certain types of our favorite blue collar workers. They are farmers. Sorry. That's okay. Marketing they are they are farmers, they yeah. are union workers, laborers, mm -hmm. and they are police officers and coal miners or whatever, right? Yeah. These, are, these are what we think of as the heart and soul of this country, the middle class, the, the everyman, the person just trying to make an honest living. Yeah. And it's really just like a political like puppet show in a way, yeah. you know, because you're right. It doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, the person who like you said, who works at the green energy plant, like nobody, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody sees them as the heart of America, even though they probably are just as, in just as much in every other way. So Actually, I see this like, think about the numbers they represent or like how many there are of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's uh, how many, how many people does Facebook employ? Like 78,000. I bet there's more Facebook workers than there are. <laughs> there are like farmers yeah. and coal miners, right? I mean, and, and there are definitely more employees at Google than there are people. Oh yeah. What, 250,000 or something. Worldwide, um, yeah. And then, you know, so like you, I always see this like with unions in, in especially in local politics, like support yeah. the unions, the unions, how could you not support the unions? You know, like, like the, everything has a everything has a dark side to it, mm -hmm. you know, and and the unions are are something that is kind of like that, like no, like you like kind of like what you were saying that nobody really looks beneath the surface because how could you possibly argue with the with the fact that we need to support these poor people, you know, who are the lifeblood of this country, yeah. and that's how we're made to feel. But if you like, if you look at let's just take unions as an example, sure, you know they. Um, I'm not against I'm not against unions or anything. I, I support unions, but there are unions that are too strong. There like are unions. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I know them by name and probably nobody else would, but especially like in New York city, yeah. and there are certain areas of the country where like Chicago, New York city, where these unions have been around forever. They've, they've carried a lot of favor with local politics and they have very, very favorable rules. Like they get paid a lot. They get a ton of benefits. Sometimes yeah. even if they don't even, if they're on, if they're laid off, they'll still get like, you know, of great um, unemployment benefits. If they're not working, they'll get gr like great pay for just like being injured or something. Yeah. None of those things sound bad, but the problem is that two things. One, every time, every time a union's paid to do something like work or whatever, like build a road, 
Yeah. That, that's more money that we have to pay. Every, every public works project becomes like infinitely more expensive. But yeah. that's not the real issue. My real problem is like, if, if you're not in the union, then you're fucked. And not everyone can just get in. You can't just walk in and be like, hey, I'd like to join the union today. Like right. that's, not how, that's not how it works. You have to be accepted. There's a, a limited number of spots because just like any, any kind of trade. Spots. Isn't the union more powerful the more member it ha- members it has? Yeah, but that's also less jobs to go around, right? right. So it's just like just like uh, the medical, you know, people often say that like the bar association yeah. um, is, is basically a trade guild, a union in yeah. a sense. They don't want just anyone to enter the bar. Of course, yeah. they need people too. But yeah. the, if they just open it up to everyone and made the entry requirements really easy, then there'd be too many lawyers, which would, be, would lower the price that lawyers, you know, earn in the market. Yeah. And so it's kind of a similar effect. Anyway, I only I'm only saying this is to to draw a parallel between how we use like those symbolic things mm-hmm. and we never look beyond the surface to actually like ask the real questions. Like in this case, in the case that you brought up, just like are there wait, how many people are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure like most of those coal plot coal mount um coal mines like shut down anyway. Yeah, um, even, left, I think. Even, even the ones that Trump tried to save. So it was just like, it was just stupid to begin with. Yeah. But again, like see the bigger picture, like oh, the bigger course, yeah. picture. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, coal plants and uh, their effects, um, Mike, are you feeling the heat in Miami? Uh, this, that's why people come to Miami. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is kind of gross though. How bad is it down there? You know, it, it's not super hot. It's like high 80s, whatever, but it's just the humidity is crazy. It's like, yeah. it's like, it feels like it's 10 to 12 degrees hotter than it is. Yeah. It's the same thing here in St. Louis. Um, and it's pretty hot here. I mean, just last week we had, you know, 102, 103 degrees. And then with Ew. the humidity, yeah, with the humidity, it's, uh, they call it the heat index. It feels like it's, you know, 110, 111. Uh, oh, that's that's Ted. That's Ted Cruz on that index, by the way. You've reached oh, yeah. Ted Cruz levels of disgusting. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> repulsive. Yes. Um, but yeah, out of curiosity, I looked up the hottest day ever in St. Louis, and um, it was before global warming was a real concern. I guess it was in 1954 on July 14th. It was a record 115 degrees Fahrenheit out here. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty bad. But uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a heat wave across the southwest of the U.S. Uh, with you know triple digit temperatures in Nevada and Arizona and Southern California and other places. Man, but also in Europe, heard. just all over continental Europe, <laughs> has been just a really really bad heat wave. Um, uh, they crazy, had a, the hottest day ever in northern Spain in the town of San Sebastian. It's right uh, close to the border of southern France you know basque region um and i think that uh, 110 degrees fahrenheit there which they that's the hottest day they've ever recorded um several other cities across europe has also just had their hottest days ever and it's still june so you know we're in for more i think and it's not going to get better in the coming years i feel like i don't have too much hope that it's going to somehow slow down as you and i get older yeah um, have you, are you familiar with the concept of tipping points? Only a little bit. I mean, I think I know what it means. Like it's, uh, the point at which it's just too late to stop a certain, you know, you could call it a domino or runaway effect. Yeah. And I guess you can, of- you can, 
you can also think about it as, as like that, but also like at after the tipping point, things start accelerating too. Yes. You know, it's like it's not just like a linear movement towards whatever thing is happening. Like it's like you reach a certain point and then it gets exponentially worse than what it was. Yeah. The effects compound further effects, which then drives the problem worse quicker. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. a it's like a flywheel, it just gains more momentum. And I feel like we're doing that's what's happening with climate change. Oh, but yeah. it's weird because I don't I don't think that we really recognize how this is going to affect us in the short term. Every how do you mean? Every person that I've heard talk about this mm-hmm. seems to think that it's a distant problem that will affect future generations or maybe worst case our old selves. Yeah. And you can see how it's having an effect today. I mean, oh, just yeah. today it's having an effect. And, it, right and you, you could imagine if it's having this effect today, mm-hmm. I mean, from where we were five years ago to how many, you know, climate related issues there were like, it's what about five years from now? Will it be, will it, will it get worse at the same rate it did in the last five years? No, probably right. not. It'll probably get worse faster, faster than rate. it did in the last yeah. five years. And I don't know where or what is safe. I just feel like we're not doing enough to combat this. I mean, the fucking rate of like, I'm sorry. Like, I I don't know if you have more you want to say about this, but like, I just, the fucking rate at which like, um, you know, laws and, and changes and industry changes are happening across the globe to combat climate change. is just laughable. It's like, yeah. it's laughable, but like terrifying laughable. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, what the fuck is going on? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we, if anything we reasonably do could, could save anything at this point. Like, I, I, I mean, we're not going backwards. Like it's not, this isn't like the worst it's going to get. Like we know that. Yeah. But if you're thinking ahead, like, I don't know, like where, where do you even go? Like you can St. Louis, <laughs> I never thought St. Louis would be that impacted by climate change because i think of i think of the places being impacted first as being kind of like dry and um i don't know coastal maybe yeah desert i mean yeah i mean summers in st louis are always hot and humid uh that's just how it is here but it's you know fire season in the american west is getting longer it starts earlier more frequent fires that burn hotter and spread faster uh, water reservoirs uh, in the West uh, are at their lowest point, and you know since they were put up, since they were built, the Hoover Dam is now so low, I think, that it can't generate electricity anymore. There are dams or water reservoirs in South America; they're so low that um, they can't generate any electricity. Big parts of Yellowstone and Wyoming uh, were closed because extreme weather uh, destroyed big parts of the roads there uh, with flooding, uh, unseasonably uh, heavy flooding. Um, I mean, what was that story? I think it was a lake in Nevada that is now so low and so drought stricken that it's allowing police to discover the bodies of people who were killed by the mob like 30, 40 yeah, years ago. People who have just f- been missing. They're finding 
bodies stuffed in oil drums that were sunk in the lake but the lake is now so low those bodies starting to pop up again for fuck's sake man yeah you, I, you know i, I want to like maybe on the theme of philosophy here mm-hmm. there's something philosophical about this not necessarily debate but just like an observation yeah you it, i think this I, this is a human propensity to not give not be able or maybe maybe able or not willing to, to give the adequate effort towards something that you know is inevitable yeah. if you don't act. And, yeah. and, the, and there's, a, there's a, an analog to this. The analog is death, our own death, our own, our own mortality. Mm-hmm. If you know how death happens, which we all kind of do for the most part, we know the things that sort of you know, accelerate our deaths. We know the things that will cause death immediately. Yeah. Why would you do anything that would shorten your life? Like, why would you smoke? Why would you drink? Why would you yeah. do any of that shit? Like, you know that you're slowly marching towards your death. Why do you want to march there a little faster? Right. And I think that this, this is the climate change is the same. We know what's going to happen. It's going to be catastrophic. Right. So why aren't we acting with the requisite level of intensity and urgency? And I think, I think the reason is simply we're incapable of fully comprehending that thing that hasn't quite begun happening yet. You always hear about yeah. people who, going back to like the mortality and, and health, of course, if you if someone says, "Hey, you have cancer," like yeah. you're gonna be like, "Oh my god, I need to change everything right now." Yeah, and, and the irony is self evident there, right? But it's also, don't you think it's part of the or part of the explanation why we're so bad at doing something about climate change as it's happening and we're starting to feel the effects of it? That whole analogy with the uh, frog and hot water, if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it'll just jump out. But if you put it in cold water and then slowly raise the temperature, it'll just stay in there. We're just experiencing it incrementally. Like every summer, there's a heat record broken, but it's only a few Fahrenheit difference every summer. So it doesn't feel that bad. And then very slowly we uh, acclimatize and start to normalize. Oh, yeah, summers are always hot. But you forget all the people who are, you know, more victimized by the effects of it than, you know, us who are fortunate to be able to sit in houses and apartments with air conditioning. But I think that we just we're also creatures who are designed by evolution to just focus on near-term threats to our existence and we're really bad at comprehending long-term threats and long-term benefits you know there's psychological research that shows that if you offer people 50 dollars now or they have to wait 10 days to get 100 dollars, they take the 50 dollars now like they're just thinking about their own self-benefit very close to the present moment and it's very I, just, hard I think people. that's an iq test sorry <laughs> is that an iq test <laughs> that's an iq test yeah <laughs> Like, just wait the 10 days. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I hear you. And I think I think both what you're saying and what I'm saying could both be true at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh man, when it's the hottest it is here, I don't I don't really leave the house. Yeah. I just kind of stay inside an air conditioner all day and then I go for a walk at night when it cools down a little bit. But and that's gonna be the issue, is like, you know, you have AC. In Arizona, a lot of people don't like yeah. there. It, it's like night, like two, three a.m., and it's like a hundred degrees, and they're like, yeah. "I can't sleep, I can't yeah. think, I can't focus." And like, where do you go? There is nowhere safe anymore because mm-hmm. you go too far north, 
it's the dry parts of like the Midwest are going to catch on fire. You go to further North than that, you're going to be underwater. Like, yeah. I, I don't know, like in Miami, like probably more susceptible to it than anyone else. Right. And I have a, I have a very attuned sort of, not that this is anything scientific, but I have some very attuned to the, just like this, this kind of clock in my head where I'm like, okay, at some point I need to not just sell my home before it could like, you know, crash to becomes worth nothing, but like, get yeah. the fuck out of here too. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know where, where to go after that. Like, where, where do you go? Yeah. Like if you, if you go to a place where there's like nature and like away from the cities, well, like that nature's going to die because there's no water <laughs> and the yeah. trees are going to die and everything else is going to die. And it's like, you could just see like, a, like Mad Max Fury Road. This is what we're becoming. Yeah. So it's fucking. Well, I hope scary, we don't man. reach that kind of level level of social dysfunction because you know humanity has been in pretty dire straits uh, before, and in those times, people have been able to come together and kind of try to rebuild society and improve their uh, uh, their surroundings. I mean, if you look yeah. at big parts of continental Europe in the direct aftermath of World War II, big parts of Europe were just rubble, and Europe has been rebuilt. Uh, yeah. Think about the parts of Japan that were nuked at the end of World uh, Second World War. They rebuilt pretty quickly too, and we came together and we helped them. We helped Germany rebuild. We helped Japan rebuild in the aftermath of complete catastrophe. Maybe there's some sort of psychological difference in how we view natural catastrophe and long-term climate change versus something that has a limited time scope like war and, and armed conflict. But I don't know. It's I unfortunately have this feeling that it's going to be very hard for people on a global scale to get their act together long enough and to be able to collaborate well enough over time to be able to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom, but I hope I'm wrong. Somebody tell me why. No, you're not wrong. Sorry. Doom and gloom. Um, this is the last, this is the last thing I want to say about this is I actually, and it's based on what you just said. I actually yeah. think that is how we'll end up dealing with it. I think what will happen is that we'll reach a point of no return yeah. where things are really fucked up yeah. and we'll come up with some insane technological advancement yeah. to reverse or stabilize the effects of it somehow. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure with the, you know, with the right motivation and the right funding, we could probably do a lot to cover the, like we could probably do a lot to cover up for all of the ills that we've been causing to this planet. I'm sure, I, I don't know so. what that would be like. Maybe it's, maybe it's like, I don't know, sucking carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. I mean, maybe it already like, exists. Carbon scrubbing exists. It's just um, making, well, I, scaling that technology so big in a way that isn't financially ruinous. That's what I'm saying. Like they, at, at some point, it'll be worth it for somebody to fund that, whether that's the government, yeah. the global government, like, who knows? Global but at some point, yeah. we'll be like, we got no fucking choice here. Let's just let's do this at scale. And I'm sure yeah. there's like a lot of other things that could also happen. Like, yeah, the, the we're going to turn about- all of Greenland into a carbon scrubbing <laughs> plant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, Israel is working on, I think uh, several companies in the U.S. are working on um, desalination of ocean water to be able to cover up for yep. a lack of fresh water access. We talked so, about the worms, the plastic eating worms and shit. Yep. Like, and that's, I guess that's what gets me about this. It's like, okay, fine. We don't feel the urgency to do everything we could be doing yet. Yeah. However, some of it's pretty easy to cut a check, especially if you're the, especially if you work in the government. So oh, yeah. cut a, cut some fucking checks, like real checks, big checks, 
to make shit like that, the shit that already exists, mm-hmm. you know, have more research into them so they could do it more at scale. So at least we're prepared for a fucking catastrophe. And at least we have a plan to like, because like, let's be honest, like if we're not going to fucking change anything, we're not weaning ourselves mm-hmm. off of oil anytime soon. Like that is like yeah. 20, 30 years away, minimum at the earliest. Yeah. So we might as well just do what we always fucking do. And make those gigantic technological advancements and then just just fucking just do like let's just do that. Let's just turn all the other shit is not fucking happening, right? Or yeah. might like it's not it's not gonna be enough anyway. Yeah. Somebody, I, I don't remember who said this, but I listened to some people, and this is this was a legitimate expert making this point. I don't remember his name, I'm very sorry, but it was an interview with a man who uh is an expert on uh greenhouse gas emissions and which societies pollute the most and which pollute the least etc and he said that it's really unfair that a lot of people blame poorer third world countries like india the philippines parts of china etc for all the pollution they cause and then um and then how they those countries feel like hey it's our turn now you experienced the industrial revolution and then all these other social advancements that let you become first world countries who are very prosperous and now it's our turn and it's hard to kind of hold that against them because that's a legitimate point but if you want to combat the effects of climate change and reduce global uh global greenhouse emissions you want to help third world economies improve as quickly as possible because improved first world economies pollute less than third world countries and so you want them those countries to kind of get on your level as quickly as possible i mean i'm sorry like it makes sense but then like at the same time who produces most of the world's greenhouse gas emissions who produces most of the world's garbage like we are no we do the u.s yeah I mean, probably China's right there, the two largest world economies. I mean, like, yeah. we have no right to say shit like that because on a per-person basis, <laughs> we do more than anyone else. And, like, God, for a lot of countries, especially for a developing country, like, you're just trying to survive. <laughs> I'm not yeah, thinking exactly. about if you, fucking... <laughs> if you talk about it in tons of uh, CO2, it's China's number one, United States number two, India third, Russia fourth, Japan fifth germany sixth iran seventh etc yeah and then i think climate trade.com okay well that's that's so thanks for keeping me honest on that i mean all like for garbage i'd rather the u.s is number one yeah <laughs> just plastic crazy. garbage like just think about all the shit we buy like fuck anyway uh, right. we've, been, we've been nothing else yeah. to say about this making me pissed this make me sad we always have that moment every week, don't we? Yeah, there's always a moment where just it's a tipping point of depression. We just go, we need to lighten up somehow. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe we can lighten up with some schadenfreude. Have you paid any attention to all the travel chaos happening in Europe right now? Oh, my God. And I'm fucking going to Europe in a few weeks. Are you? Where are you going? I'm going to Paris. Okay. Well, you might experience part of this because... All over Europe, there are huge, huge uh, problems with uh, air travel uh, at airports. Uh, pilots are striking. Baggage handlers are striking. Oh, my God. Uh, people who either left or lost their job during the worst two years of the COVID pandemic um, has led to staff shortages in uh, all parts of the uh, airline industry. And um, people who are striking, they want better pay uh, structures, more uh, pay raises. And um, 
people who are getting hired back at airports, you know, no matter what the position is, whether it's security control or it's baggage handling or anything else, if you have to work at an airport, you need security clearance. And that process can take up to 10 weeks or more. And so there's just this kind of built in delay of getting people back to work at airports in Europe because they need that security clearance. And so that's part of why there are just, you know, if you go to Schiphol um, uh, International Airport in Amsterdam, lines to get through uh, security extend out of the airport for like, I think one of them was like a mile long and you just have to be there for like six, seven hours to be able to get through security. Yeah, at that point, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get someone, Cancel some kind of like black market, fucking take me on a boat or something, like put me yeah. in the cargo hold. Like I'm not gonna fucking wait a mile long. You know, you know how oh, pissed dude. I would be. I would it's never, insane. I would never. I'd be like, I'm staying here. They'd be like, but you're not a Dutch citizen. That's not a Dutch accent. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, yeah, well, I'm not trying to overstay my visa, but to get rid of that fucking line. That's yeah. what I would say to them. And they'd this be like, no, you're happening. going to jail. And then they'd put me on some military jet to take me to f- deport me. And then I'd probably never really be allowed back. But anyway, yeah. that's an, a, a far better alternative. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> just that. at that point, like, oh, I'm not traveling. I'm glad I don't have to deal with this right now. I came here in December and I haven't left the U.S. since then. Uh, by the way, it was just my six-month anniversary of living in the U.S. Um, Yay. Woo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Wait, not of living in the U.S. You mean as living in the U.S. as a a married person, right? Okay, right. yeah, or living here not as a student, but just living here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Previously, when I was here, you know, I was on a student visa, and it was always for a limited amount of time. I always knew that the visa had an expiration date, but now it doesn't. Fuck, man! I just, I just, I don't know. Have you ever uh, thought about living somewhere else in the world? Yes, but not anymore. Now I'm done. I'm going to Brazil and sell coconuts on the beach. <laughs> oh, you go Paris, but you've lived in Italy. You studied in Italy. Have you ever thought about just relocating and saying, grabbing your wife by the arm and just saying, we're going to Europe. Fuck this. We're out. It's, or something. It is, you know, it is like, especially Italy. Italy is, it's not a very expensive country to live in if you're an American. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just have never thought about, and I, maybe this sounds like really dumb because I'm already like arguing with what I'm about to say, but I've never thought about, well, how could you actually make enough money to live in Italy? And like the obvious answer to that is like, you got to have do some kind of online business, right? Something that you can do anywhere. Remote work. Yeah. Cause I can't start a business in Italy. There's no fucking way. Like, well, just impossible, impossible. Right. Really? Like, I, well, think about it as a foreigner, not mm-hmm. only do I not understand all the customs and culture of doing business there, but like, out getting a loan, all that, all the yeah, stuff would is kind be of an necessary. Italian partner. Yeah. So I, I have thought about it mm-hmm. and I, I think it's, I think it's something, you know, like all the old people in the U S go to Florida when they're old yeah. to retire. I feel like maybe that's going to be my Florida. Italy will be your Florida or maybe, maybe somewhere even more, maybe somewhere even cheaper than Italy, like Croatia or something. Yeah. It's not a bad move. You might be affected by future heat waves, though, but still. Uh, Yeah. Fuck. But speaking of remote work. I'm going to Norway. You work remotely most of the time, right? I'm a remote worker, but we do have, my company does have an office, and they're probably going to ask us to come back at least on a part-time basis. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that, you know, because sooner or later when I get my green card and permission to work here, 
uh, I think I want to look for some sort of remote work where I can work for a company that's located anywhere and I wouldn't have to relocate and I can just work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, you know, also thoughts about just going for it as a freelance photographer full time and just seeing how that works out. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on remote work? Is it something that works for you? Is it something that is less than optimal? Would you like to be back at the office? When remote work first happened, this is like, I remember the day and I'll never forget. And I'll tell yeah. my grandchildren and my great grandkids about it. Yeah. Okay? Although they'll probably have way worse catastrophes in their lifetime. Let's be honest, but yeah. we don't know what those are yet. Anyway, I remember the week and the day, March 17th, 2020. Oh. That was the day that my company was like, Hey, this thing, COVID, <laughs> this is, you should stay home. And we it was the so, coronavirus. In that oh, time. sorry. Coronavirus. Yeah. And you know what's like, this is now you asked, but you know what's fucking crazy? Like, I feel like I need to take us back in time here because yeah. we did not treat COVID with the seriousness that it deserved until we were like, it was so crazy. Like for the whole rest of the world knew about it. We, for like, mean? Americans in general, right? Like <laughs> the whole rest of the world knew about this shit for months. And we were like, oh, those poor Italians. <laughs> yeah. <And> then, <laughs> like we weren't doing anything. There was still all this like debate about whether this was like worse than the flu or not. And then suddenly mm-hmm. for like some reason, one day, one week, we were like, oh, no, no, now it's time. Now and that time. was the now craziest. It's in the US. Cause like the, like the weeks and months before that, like nobody did shit anyway. We yeah, so well, that, you didn't have the most competent man in charge of the U.S. government, or you know, oh at my least god, the, uh, oh my god, in the White Please, House. I, that's not what I wanted to remember. Okay, anyway, no, but I remember. I remember Trump <laughs> I know, saying, I know. "We have it well under control." And he said this. He said, "It's one guy coming in from China." Oh my god, that's a direct quote. That? <laughs> anyway, so that happened, and like since then, I haven't been. I haven't been in an office until about a week ago. When yeah. I went to visit my office, because like they're allowing people in, you know, if you want to, like you could work there, but it's not like they're not f- forcing anybody to come back. So can I ask where the office is? Yeah, it's in New York City, but they have offices in San Francisco, like all over the place. You know. Okay. But, um. So it's weird because I've been working remotely for that long, and so any mm. any when it first happened, I was so excited. But any kind of notion that. Oh, you should really want to come back. I'm like, whoa, I've been doing this for two and a half years. Slow down there, Chachi. Like, slow the fuck down. Like, <laughs> you can't just tell me to just, I've had to come up with this whole new routine and shit. And yeah. now you want me to just come back because you feel like it? Like, whoa. Yeah. Um, and so I think it works, but I recognize that my, the best times I've had at work were the times when I was like with my coworkers and like I had real friends there. Sure. But, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that makes uh, makes a difference. Just having interpersonal relationship with uh, relationships with coworkers that you enjoy. Maybe your boss is cool and you like hanging out with them and getting feedback and advice. And maybe it can help you do your job better. But I also totally understand the people who make the argument that, hey, my job, my job responsibilities, they don't necessitate me spending 40 hours in the office building every week. And if I can do it at home and the job is done just as well, with me in my home office, then screw you. If you're trying to mandate uh, a return to the office, return to work. Like I, it's hard to take that away from people because now they, a lot of people have spent two years working from home and now they're being forced to, or some people are being forced to, uh, to, to return to the office or forfeit their job. I think Elon Musk 
said that people <laughs> who work at um, SpaceX and Tesla have to spend at least 40 hours a week in the office or risk losing their job. Yeah, he who shall not be named. Yeah, yeah, Voldemort um, of this. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like okay, so I heavily lean towards the side of like, hey, I don't don't tell me I need to be at the office to be productive. That's hogwash. Yeah, I think there are benefits to it for just from a professional perspective. There are Certainly. benefits because professional relationships matter. They help you when. You know, if you're trying to do anything, we'll be, you know, cross functionally, meaning like I'm in sales, for example, and I want to mm -hmm. talk to somebody in product team. Like, it's better if I know that person I need to talk to. Of course. Like, like that's easier than like sending a message on Slack to a random ass person Who that I've never that talked face to. to face. You can, but you got it. It's just harder. It's more barriers. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like those relationships, you know, probably help you move up in your career. Mm -hmm. You need... You don't just need people who like you to like get promoted and stuff. You need people to open doors for you. And that means to create opportunities for you to mm -hmm. showcase your skills so that you can be considered for like promotions and other opportunities. And that's easier when you know people. So oh, that's yeah. like the argument for. Yeah. The argument oh, yeah. against is, yeah, go ahead. You want to say something about no, that? I was going to say, it's just invaluable to have that interpersonal moment where you shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye. You can talk together. You can be face-to-face. -face, you can read body language, hear people's voice. You don't get that when you just communicate through Slack or Discord or just, you know, even, yeah, it's different when you look at somebody through a webcam conversation like we're doing right now. But, you know, you know, I know each other. We have a history. We have a long friendship. But if you just communicate with a coworker through either text-based communication or, or video meetings online, it's not the same as knowing somebody in person and then ha having to ask that person for help or favors later on. I think if you have that and uh, it's built through a shared office environment, it's going to be better to be able to go to them and say, hey, I need your help with this, either within the company or you're looking for a new job and they need to recommend you for something, write a letter of reference, uh, you know, whatever it is, it's always better to have that interpersonal connection. I was in the office, I told you I was in my office in New York um, yeah. a week or so ago, whatever, and I met people that I would have never met because my path didn't cross with them. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have like these, these spontaneous conversations and things and mm -hmm. it feels good. It feels like you get the same benefit that you get from like socializing. Like, I understand that I'm a very social person. Yeah. If, if you haven't guessed. Um, and, and I, <laughs> and I, I get that. I totally get it. But my, the thing is this, I think this is where, this is where, this is where the, the decision, like the gray area is the gray area is we all recognize there are benefits to knowing people in person. Of course. What What is the amount that you need to be physically present with those people to get the benefits of that while still maintaining the flexibility and all the benefits of that? Because yeah. the benefits of the flexibility are very clear. And, and there's two sides of this that I've seen. Right? Yeah. And I'm sure you've all, everyone else seen the two sides. One is, and this is just an, an archetype, right? Like a psychographic profile fake yeah. archetype. But the, right. the archetype is I'm a mother and I have young kids. And it is really hard for me to get them ready to do shit in the morning and take them to school or whatever the hell it is, and then get if go to work every day and then come home and then do the same thing the next day. Yeah. And so me working at home has made my life significantly better. Yeah. I how could you argue with that? You're telling me you, 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 that person should be in the office because they, they the relationships they have are going to matter more. Like, that person doesn't give a shit. Yeah, and I understand no, their why. priority is on their paycheck and their kids. Kids exactly. One, of course, but exactly yeah. everything else is a distant second. Understandably. Oh, yeah. 
Now yeah. the other, the other, oh, sorry. You want to say something about that? No, no, no. no I, I just agree with you. Totally. The other archetype is, and I'm not saying these are the only two, but these are the ones that I've seen more, more than others mm-hmm. um, is I don't have kids. I live in a city. Maybe mm-hmm. I live with my partner. Maybe I have a couple roommates. My apartment's small. I don't want to work there. I don't have an office there. I live in a studio, whatever the case is. I it's can't not, focus. It's, not, it's too noisy. People are in and out all day. Yeah. It's not practical for me to work there. I'd prefer to take the subway, which again, yep. is something you do if you live in the city, right? Not in like the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer to take the subway downtown and go to the office and eat free food. Well, my office has free food. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and like you understand both sides. So, may, so to me, the answer to this, or like the best answer is let people choose. Yeah. Let Just them the flexibility. choose. Flexibility. Yeah, it's like a lot of companies are doing this where they're like, Hybrid, like hybrid means to most companies, two or three days a week in the office and the rest mm. at home. Yeah, that's that's not. So this is, this is interesting. And I talked to you about this before the pod. Yeah. Brian Chesky, CEO, founder of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. They're the most progressive company about work from home that out there. They're yeah. very, very vocal about it. Yeah. Let people work from anywhere, anywhere yeah. in the world. We don't Wrong, care right? where you, you work. Go to fucking. Yeah. Philippines, you can send. And if you want to be in the office, you want to be in the office, come to the office. And he asked some very powerful questions. When you know, Mm -hmm. he did he he did an interview. You guys should look up. What was his um, name? Brian Chesky. Brian Chesky, C H E S K Y. Yeah. And he was talking about return to work, which is still kind of a hot topic. Return Mm -hmm. to office, whatever. And he said, like, you know, if we didn't have an office, like if it never existed, yeah. Would we reinvent it today, given the yeah. technology that's at our disposal? Or would we, is it really a relic of the past? Yeah. Would of we the just 1950s? Say, hey, we need people to spend, leave their house, spend 45 minutes commuting, and then spend eight hours in this building with other people who do maybe similar jobs, maybe not, and then 45 minutes to an hour commuting back home. And they need to do this five days a week. Mm-hmm even though it doesn't necessarily impact the quality of the work that they can produce. Not to mention the expenses of having and maintaining that office. Exactly. Like, would Huge. you, would you do it? Yeah. And he also asked some other questions like, or he posed some other ideas, I should say. Yeah. For example, he said that when you've been working from home for two years plus, being yeah. told to go back to the office for two to three days a week, doesn't feel like you're getting something. No. It feels like you're losing something because yeah. you were working. You're, you're frame, they're assuming that the frame of reference is, well, you work five days a week. So this is no, a gift. You were working no, I was, zero days a week at the office. Exactly. I've yes. been working zero days a week. So you tell me to come in two to three days is a significant change. Yeah, that sucks. Now, I'm going to go, ba- go back and forth a little on the different sides of what people say. Yeah, and I'd please. love to hear your thoughts. Just cut me off whenever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what people might say who don't want to go to the office or don't want to be forced to go to the office you know, COVID is still out there. Like COVID is still happening. Why should I be forced to put myself at risk mm-hmm. for something that doesn't, isn't necessary, absolutely necessary just yeah. because you want me there. Mm-hmm. And the counter to that is that I've heard is, well, if people are going out partying and drinking and traveling, like they're clearly doing, why shouldn't they be also be able to come to the office? Right. But are the people who are avoiding the risk of getting COVID by going to the office, are those those the same people who are traveling, going to the mall without a mask, going to restaurants, bars, partying, et cetera? There might be not much yeah. overlap between those two groups, but I see your point. There might not be overlap, but I'll say I'm one of the people who, you know, I don't want to have unnecessary risks 
But the risk I think about is actually not COVID. It's actually, believe it or not, it's actually like, and I don't, I don't want to get into this topic, but it's actually um, dangers on public transit. You know, crazy oh, really? ass people. Yeah, crazy Wait, ass people. You don't want to get into that? I want to ask you a million questions. What are you saying? Well, it's it there's there's a lot of violence lately. Like it's mm. more than usual in the last yep. over the last couple of years. Yeah. And there's a lot of like like violence on public transit in New York City, especially where I'm, you know, gonna have an office there or yeah. I'm gonna be in an office there. And like You're I think in the subway. Fucking, yeah, I don't want to fucking take the subway with some crazies. I mean, there's always crazy in the subway, but they're like more more there's violent more and murderous than yeah. And like that's that's my thing. Like I'm on that scares me. Yeah, maybe um, I shouldn't say ever. There was probably more in parts of the 70s, I would imagine, when yeah. there was a real crime problem in New York City, but yeah, m- more than maybe in the last two decades, probably. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so back to the thing. So mm-hmm. the topic. So, I mean, I guess another thing I think about is like going back to what's the line you draw? Where does it, what is enough office time to get the benefits of the relationships while having the flexibility you want? Yeah. And that this is also something Brian Chesky talked about where he said like meetings, in person meetings should be purposeful. They shouldn't just be, yeah, let's work together side by side in an open office environment. Like that's, that's meaningful. Like, yeah, you'll have meaningful interactions that way, but I don't want to have to come in for the, for the maybe reward quote unquote of a meaningful interaction. Like let's, let's schedule meaningful in-person interactions. Let's say quarterly, for example, we're going to have a team outing or we're going to have a team brainstorm strategy session, whatever. And that's Mm going to be beneficial. And now, because I've met you and spent a day with you, I know you, and now we have a relationship until the yeah. next quarter when we meet again. Yeah. And it's easier to get back into a working relationship after you've met face-to-face the first time. So I think the debate really hinges on that. What's enough? Yeah. What's and enough? I don't... It doesn't have to be 40 hours per week, and it doesn't have to be zero. But it also just needs to be handled very individually on a case, uh, case-by-case basis. For some people, it works being two to three days in the office a week. For some people, it works being there every day. And for some people, it's best to just be at home all the time because they have other responsibilities too. So I get that. It's just, it's just, and by the way, I want to acknowledge, you know, that this obviously affects certain people. It doesn't affect everyone. Not everyone mm. works in an office. Medical professionals usually don't work in offices or yeah. they do, but not, you know, they can't work at home usually. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of other jobs. You know, the warehouse workers at Tesla can't work at home, which is what mm. he shall, shall not be. Can't work from home. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, grocery store workers. Worker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that this affects, you know, generally like educated, like white collar professionals, but it's yeah. still, it's still an important thing. And mm-hmm. I think it has a lot to do with like the future of cities. There's so much yeah. commercial real estate, especially like in New York city and places like that. They're just, we don't know LA. We don't know what they're, what's going to be like. And Big those things are just sitting empty. Right. Yeah. As far as I know, I mean, there's been a little bit of, of return and a little bit of um, but not rebound to the level of what it was in, you know, summer of 2019 before anybody knew that COVID was a thing. No. And you're going to lose parts of cities because, you know, yep. they, they restaurants, bars, all this shit pops up to serve workers and office workers. Yeah. But I just think, I just think like we've made this, we've made all this technology. We've proven that it works. Mm-hmm. Give people more flexibility. Yeah. There's really, there really shouldn't be judgment towards who decides to, 
come into an office and and who doesn't and on what cadence. Yeah. You know, hey, you so. lived in New York City for a long time and you recently returned last week after having uh, been in Miami since what, September last year? Yeah. What was it like being back in New York City? Has the city changed? Because I listen to people talk on podcasts and in YouTube videos about how New York now is just, it's a different story out there on the streets. The city has really changed during the pandemic. There are more people with clear mental illness problems, people with substance abuse problems, homeless people. The number of homeless people has gone up. Is that something you noticed or observed while you were there? And you lived in New York before you moved to Miami. Have you noticed any difference like through the course of your life? In terms of more you know, mental health problems or more homeless, have not noticed. But I was only there for about a week. I didn't explore all every, visit, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I didn't explore all the places I used to be. Yeah. I can tell you in Miami, there's a lot more, there's more homeless than there was, you know, a year ago. Yeah. Um, at least it's just visibly to the eye. Mm-hmm. What has changed in New York is that, and New York's always kind of like this, it feels like this living, breathing thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always new, new places to shop, new restaurants, new, like, new, like that. You walk around the block and you see something totally new you never saw. Yeah. a year ago the and new york is always changing yeah you're like discovering new things all the time and and you don't get that in miami like the density of what's there is, is still present but mm-hmm. it's just not it's not buzzing as much and i don't know if it's a bad thing it's just that there's you don't i didn't feel those periods of like people just being everywhere where i used to feel that yeah um so i i actually i liked it actually because of that reason like i hate being on top of people like all the time yeah. Um, which is weird that choose cities to live in, but, yeah. but so it felt, it did feel a little, it did feel a little bit different. Maybe like a, like it's been, like it's been wounded or something. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's a good way of saying, you know, it's a living, breathing thing that's been wounded. Maybe it'll resurrect itself over a couple of years. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think I just focus out so much on New York because it's, you know, the quintessential American city. It's like, you know, the, the shining beacon of what America can do in many ways. Yeah. And also it has things that no other city in this country really has. Yeah. Maybe, maybe San Francisco, maybe Chicago in terms of like the history, the character. Yeah. You can't, you can't replicate that, you know, like, and, and some cities have it and some people's cities don't. Miami doesn't fucking have, well, Miami does, but it's very Miami. Um, And, you know, (laughs) like, so if you, if you want that kind of shit, like, you know, New York city is one of the places to get it. But I do think that by and large, like there's going to, there's more pull, I think, towards working remotely. Yeah. And I think that because of that, I know there's probably, you know, hiring and like the labor market will cool off a little bit Mm -hmm. because of that, the companies who really want to attract the best talent are going to start being more flexible about, um, about remote working because it's just, yeah. it's it, the alternative is you don't get the right talent. And like, it's just like, it's almost like democracy suffers. I want to say democracy is going to win, but something, something more than democracy, you know, something where it's like, like, like no one's saying shut down the offices. So the people who want the office will still have that. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no pushback on the other side. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Have you uh, seen or read anything interesting in this past week that you want to recommend? We did this I last just, week. It's just a thing to try. And I, th- I thought it was pretty interesting to hear what you had to say. You know, I do want to talk about one thing. Just yeah. just, just like a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. I fucking hate internet trolls. I don't understand 
What mm-hmm. what makes someone wake up and be like, you know what? I want to go and piss people off on the internet. <laughs> and there's all different forms of trolling. And I yeah. happen to notice this more because I engage more. Because I have to ask, I, where do you engage with internet trolls? Because you don't have Facebook. And someday you're going to have to tell a story why you lost your Facebook account. Or have you done that already? I don't know. Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. Somebody hacked me and they, they did something that broke Facebook's rules and I got banned. Yeah. And this is actually a pretty common thing. And Facebook doesn't have any kind of recourse for that. They're just like, they're just like, you can, uh, you can uh, ask us to review this if you did the thing that broke the rules or not. You can't yeah. ask them to review like, hey, somebody logged into my account, which you have a record of because you, you sent me a notice that mm-hmm. some, my account was logged in from somewhere else. I yeah. said it wasn't me. Uh, use your brain here. Yeah. Uh, they don't, there's no, that doesn't exist. So, so what anyway. did they do with your account? What did they post, Mike? What happened? I think it was like radical Islam shit because that's what I saw. It was like, like ISIS my, propaganda. Yeah, because like my my um, <laughs> face icon was like changed to like an ISIS flag or something. So oh, shit. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like there's, I, I read that there's like a way to get your account back. Like people like send letters and like lawyers send letters and shit to Facebook. And then like, is it that important? Days, well, I have thousands of photos on there, including That's when you and I went it's to the photos because people yeah. have been using it as their way to store old exactly. photos. Yeah. Mother, that's what that's the only thing. I don't give a shit beyond that. Yeah. So same. Um I, should, anyway. I think there is a way you can download all of your data. I think I should just do that. Download all my photos, videos from Facebook. And then if I lose it, I don't give a shit. Right. You can just make a new account, if anything. Yeah. If anything. Yeah. Um, I probably shouldn't because I know what social media does to my brain and uh, we should all quit. We should all just lose Facebook. Okay. And the trolls. And the yeah. trolls. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I cut you off. But you were on a no, roll okay. about um, internet trolls. Where are you Dude, engaging with them? Usually Twitter. Twitter's like the worst place on the planet. It is 75% and I'm not talking I didn't, I'm not saying bots not bots I mean trolls I mean people who really really like to aggravate other people for like just out of fun there's just there's like I'll just give you an example of like something that happened like this week right yeah. and, and 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 by the way like I know that I should not feed the trolls okay mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't but it's not always obvious that they are a troll until a few interactions and exchanges have happened, which is how you get hooked in. Yeah. But once you recognize they're a troll, you have to cut it off. And it's very hard because trolls have all these ways yeah. of continue trolling you. So let me give you an example. So sure. uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but people love to troll about like sports, professional sports. I don't, yeah. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. I don't know why I don't get it. It's become like this really fucking like rancid, like, like hotbed of like trolling and rage over the last couple of years. It's crazy. Any particular sport you're talking about? Like what kind of sports are you most into? Soccer? Usually, but usually basketball. Yeah. I mean, I'm into soccer, but I don't usually fight with people about it. Okay. Um, I think British people are just nicer. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, it's the so, only other country where they play f- soccer, AKA yeah, real football. Right. Right. So the, you know, trolls, they just, they'll just do things to try to like hook you in. So like, they'll, they'll respond to you with like things that are non sequiturs that are, but are like inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And then like, if you don't respond or if you try to like deflect, or if you say like, Hey, I don't care about what you're saying because you're a troll. Yeah. They'll they'll say things like yeah because you don't you don't have anything intelligent to respond with so that's yeah. why so just, why it's you could possible just... for you to refute my yeah. bulletproof argument <laughs> yeah I actually saw this on LinkedIn there are a lot of LinkedIn trolls which is 
That's the worst place to, to do it. If you want to be professional and have it lead to career opportunities. But there's Don't 800 there. million, but there's 800 million people. And I, if you read like LinkedIn threads, not the ones that are like, you know, I don't know, uh, easy to like. Yeah. Right. But the ones that are like, uh, for example, like critical. Uh, yeah. Or anything that's not strictly, strictly like professional. Like I remember yeah. there was one post like a year ago about like Stacey Abrams and how she, mm. you know, uh, rallied all these like black voters to vote in the election or whatever, the presidential election. And like what an amazing thing this woman did. Yeah. And maybe like, this is not professional. Like, and it was just all this like very subtle, like, I don't know. I don't. I guess racism, but like masked, like under like the, this Karenness, you know, like oh. like it was just so weird. But like LinkedIn and Twitter have a lot of fucking trolls, and like these people, you'd think because like the one benefit of LinkedIn that makes it a less of a troll cesspool mm-hmm. is that, like you said, you are identified. Like you usually have your information either you have your name, you have your place of work, so you don't want to act like an idiot. But I've seen it more and more. Where people just don't care, and they just say whatever to anyone. Yeah. And and anyway, all, all I want to say is if you are one of these people that is sadistic and thinks that it's funny to antagonize others, like yeah. you are, you are filth. That's all I can say. I don't know if you chose to be that way or for some kind of like affliction or whatever, but like, go fuck yourself. You're making don't, the world a worse you, place. Don't take this personally. Don't take this the wrong way. But have you, are you spending too much time on Twitter? Could that be part of the problem? Why even start any sort of interaction with people? Because it's hard to know that they're a troll right away. <laughs> okay, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I've, I've come up with better techniques, okay? Well, let me ask you one thing first. Do you have a significant number of interactions that start and then turn out not to be with somebody who's trying to troll and antagonize you? That are just good, normal interactions? Or is it a it's half majority half. of shitty <laughs> troll-like interactions on They're Twitter? never the trolls are never far away, but it's like half and half. It's right. it's really like that that level. It's crazy. Like yeah. that's why that's why when I when I you know we were talking about like you know he who shall not be named and Twitter mm-hmm. and like how he wants to like you know uh, bring free speech to Twitter. There is so much free speech on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Just just go in there, find any post, find a thread within that thread and and you just see what's there. Like it's all these like nameless idiots and it's just the way that they try to pull you in. Like there was a person I was arguing with today. The argument started like 5 <laughs> days ago, okay? And this person was replying to me within seconds. Yeah. And I actually the last thing I said to them today was like I think that you use, I think, I think you have a problem with Twitter. Like you're replying to me within seconds. Like yeah. Twitter's bad for your brain. Like chill, <laughs> go take a breather. Like go outside. Yeah. And then I, and then I just, go outside, go for a walk without your phone. Take a, take a Sunday off. Just no electronics on Sunday. Yeah. Read yeah. a physical copy paper book, go for a walk, make a meal by hand, <laughs> hug your partner. And, uh, you know, yeah. But you know what I was reading? Bit. We were reading this before we started recording. Yeah. That there's studies that are done on internet trolls show that it's not necessarily related to like a self-esteem issue that people do this. Mm-hmm. It's more related to your gender and your um, propensity for sadism. Let me guess. It's mostly men? No. Yes. Of course. <laughs> I know. Man, fucking suck. We just ruined the world. There must Why be some we... correlation with the uh, testosterone levels there, I imagine. But... 
Of course. Listen, yeah. Madden, Madden ruined everything. We ruined the internet, you know. Like, well, we also invented the internet. So oh. no, no, we we had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, Tim Berners Lee, anyway. thanks. Fuck, fuck internet trolls and um yeah. and don't start trolling me about my Instagram post. All right, people. I don't yeah, hey, I feel I like don't... you were kind of skirting our agreement a little bit. You were gonna post something and then you do a story, which we all know is transient and only lasts 24 hours. I thought that was the thing get... you do. No, you could do that, or my hope was you're gonna post something permanent. Oh um, not a story, okay. but an actual post. Mm. Okay. Well, I will I did appreciate the story though. It made me laugh. <laughs> For those who haven't seen it, it's a story that takes you through my podcasting lab where yes. we create podcasts here at Claptrap. Mm-hmm. Well, I create part of the podcast that yeah. you see at Trap Clap Claptrap. Yes. Um yeah, I'll do another one that's permanent. Okay. Yes. Sweet. Awesome. Can't wait. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a radical shift in topic and uh, mood here for a second. Mike, do you have any thoughts on euthanasia? Do you know what that is? Uh, Yes, I do. Yeah. Is that something that you think should be legal or accessible to people who wish to have it? Uh, Yeah. Why the fuck not? Like, I mean, how many times have you heard of a story where something terrible happened to someone that wasn't death? And you were like, man, I had just killed me if that happens to me. Oh, yeah, totally. I, now, I mean I'm it. thinking about this, the reason this is on my mind is I saw a New York Times story about a man in Italy named Federico Carboni. Um, he became the first man in Italy to die by assisted suicide. Uh, he was paralyzed 12 years ago in an accident. And uh, he... Um, he became uh, Italy's first legal assisted suicide in his home in the central Italian port town of Senigallia. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he was a truck driver and uh, he got injured 12 years ago and he had to fight like this uphill battle to be able to have the right to die by assisted suicide because he had to clear all these legal hurdles and and barriers in uh, in Italy. And it just made me think that if somebody is injured or is sick in a way that there's no coming back from and their life is nothing but pain and misery, what kind of a person do you have to be to deny them the right to decide when and how to, to end it with some dignity? Somebody who cares more about yourself than others, because it's yeah. either you're, it's either you're worried about liability which is a real concern or you're worried about you know just how you'll feel about it right yeah. and and i understand but you wouldn't well, you, you wouldn't watch like a bird that's been hit by something you know suffer and look to death and like squirm in agony yeah you'd kill it right you put it out of its misery well, yeah we're we're they're, we're people and our lives matter but you know nothing's worse than worse than agony nothing mm-hmm. is worse than agony yeah. Nobody will argue with that. <laughs> if you believe that people have the right to decide what to do with their own body and their own lives and make choices for themselves, but not decide how to end it when th- that is the only thing that really makes any sort of sense, if you want an end to, to your existence, which is nothing but suffering. I don't know. It feels like a contradiction because I know people try to argue against um, euthanasia and I just don't, I don't see it. I think you have to have compassion for people who, whose lives are so radically different from your own that maybe it's hard to put yourself in their shoes, but 
I mean, this man, he seemed like he had, he said here, uh, this is a quote from the guy. He said, yeah, somebody read from a letter that he had written. Um, it was at a news conference after his passing. And uh, what he wrote was, I can't deny that I regret taking leave of life. I would be false and lying if I said otherwise, because life is great and we only have one. But unfortunately, that's the way it went. So it seems like he appreciated life. But even he was in such misery that he said, I can't go on. This is it's better for everyone involved if this ends for me. And I, I think, think he's brave. Honestly, oh, totally brave. He's brave. I, I don't think that's like taking the easy way out. That's like, oh, no. I want to end that's it the, on my own terms. Something I way I control. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, is that is assisted suicide legal in the United States or is that a state by state thing? Maybe I never heard of it being legal here unless like, well, there are probably some exceptions, but I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like suicide. Maybe if you're like on critical condition, like a life support or something, then yeah. at that point you can like make a medical decision to like not live anymore. But I don't think it's the same as someone who's off. like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the laws, but I haven't, I haven't heard of that. Like I wish yeah. it were because then I could just be like, Hey, Martin, you're my friend. Shoot me, shoot me in the face. Like this end, this end <laughs> I don't of shit. Think exactly. You know? That's how they do it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know the <laughs> mechanics of, of, the the method by which they you know help somebody oh it's not that but no, certainly not <laughs> they probably a, give them a lot of anesthesia or something you know something that maybe stops the heart or something but yeah yeah like no, what they do with a vet when you that. put I your animal think, down oh sorry i didn't mean to talk over you but i think no 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 it's so, okay a lot of people put up an objection to this type of thing simply because they're very uncomfortable considering the process of dying and what death is actually like it makes them uncomfortable. I think it's something we all just need to reckon with more that life ends at some point. And sometimes that can be the, the lesser of two evils. The fact that life ends is finite and is relatively short mm. is what makes it meaningful. Yeah. And the sooner that people, everyone accepts that the more richer and fuller our lives will be. Yeah, because that means that you'll value every second that you have mm -hmm. instead of the fears that you have and the judgment and the oh, what would people say about me? What would I say about myself? It's yeah. a very power. It's a very simple but powerful realization. And I feel like to a large degree, I've internalized that. And that's why I'm doing this podcast with you. Yeah, I, I really don't care if I if we make any money off of this. It's not my goal, really. Yeah, I just enjoy doing it. And there's the possibility that I'll be ridiculed, that somebody will listen to it, be like, listen, you're an idiot. Like, why do you bother talking? There's the possibility that I'll judge myself, that I'll listen to one of our episodes and I'll be like, damn, like I sounded really bad there. Yeah. Um, but, but all of that in, you know, in the face of death means nothing. No. All of that is just like, like worldly nonsense. Oh yeah, totally. And that's also one of the reasons why I'm making like a conscious effort to be able to, or to try to do more of the things that I want to do without fear of feedback or what people might think or what people, how people would judge me for it. Um, and because I know that time is limited and all I have is what I'm doing right here, right now. You know, I don't believe in any sort of afterlife um, for anybody who might not know me. I'm pretty you know, hard-nosed atheist and always have been. And so... Blasphemer! Burn him! <laughs> yeah, right? So, you know, when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time and effort just reconciling with the fact that 
this is it. There are no second chances. And I held myself back for many years because I was worried about it, not in any sort of like fatalistic sense, but I just, I was worried about what people thought about me or the things that I did. And I'm just trying to do the things that I enjoy now and, and, and worry less about what, uh, what other people think of me and what I think of me. I, I'm trying to take myself less seriously, but still do good things. And that's, you know, that's, that's something you just kind of feel in a deeper way. I imagine once you realize that this is this, there's no dress rehearsal. This is it. This is the real thing. I think another thing that's helped me is just, we, we always operate from this assumption, whether spoken or not, that there's more time. I can do oh, yeah. well, I can waste this time now because there'll be more time. There'll be more time. Yeah. If you kind of if you limit that, you start to value the things you're doing more now. Because if you knew there wasn't time, mm-hmm. if you knew that you could die anytime, which by the way, you can. Oh yeah. You wouldn't think that way. You wouldn't you wouldn't operate that way. Yeah. You would you would do only the things that make you happy. Yeah. And that's it. And actually, this helps me when I'm trying to um when I'm trying to de-escalate an argument or some type of tiff that I've had with my wife where like, maybe I'll be mad for a moment about something. And then if I reflect, I'm like, this doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I love my wife. I don't, I don't care about this stupid thing that we're fighting about in the end. Like disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I, if I were dying today, which I am, (laughs) but if I were like on the brink of death, like I wouldn't care about that. So then I want to cherish this time we have together. And that's honestly like, that is like my life's arrow. Like that's my life's, um, my, my, my ultimate goal is to honestly retire as quickly as possible. So I can just spend time with my wife and, and other people I care about. That's great. That's admirable. That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, I heard somebody say the other day, I don't know who this is attributable to, but the person I heard say it said that it was a Buddhist saying. And they said that if you're mad at someone in a, like a heated emotional argument to bring yourself out of it, just try to imagine that person 3000 years from now, <laughs> just like you, they will be dust. And it kind of just snaps you out of this tendency we all have to get too caught up in the moment right here and right now. And it kind of takes you back to view a bigger picture of the situation. Most things that you worry about, they, you know, they happen mostly in your own mind. And so if you can cultivate the ability to to take a step back and view things with a little bit more detachment and some, you know, maybe the sense of irony and appreciation for what you have and not despair of what you don't have, then maybe you can learn a learn to live a, a better life. There's this, suffering happens in the mind, I think. There's this book that my therapist told me to read called The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, you're recommending that to me. You must think really lowly of me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was it was I didn't read all of it, but um it's somewhat religious, but it talks about kind of what you said, which is that um, we have this voice in our heads and we all hear it. We all know it, right? We don't always, not always conscious of like what it's saying, but if we like stop and listen, you can kind of like understand what's being told to you. And this is the first thing is like, you know, this isn't real, this voice. Um, And the second thing is that like, we kind of like construct the world in our minds, like the world that we know. And we obviously don't know the whole world. What we know is very limited. 
Yeah. But we construct it in our minds. And then that makes, that makes everything that happens feel much, much, much bigger than it really is. Right. We're not able to comprehend how, how much bigger the world is and thereby how insignificant the concern that we're having about something really is and how little influence we have over it. Yeah. We think that in our, this little world we've created in our mind based on reality is the world. Right. And that's why we have very egocentric and we, you know, think everything that we, that we're dealing with is the most important thing. Yeah. Everybody perceives themselves to be the main character of the movie that they're in, but everyone is a non-player character in a way. I'm not, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry to use that term, but yeah, no, I, I, that's a, that's a great point. What was the book called? The untethered soul. Untethered soul. Yeah. I just read chapters one and two, but it was enough. <laughs> Maybe you should finish it. There might be more wisdom in there, Mike. I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. There's going to be so much wisdom in any book. It <laughs> makes yeah. no sense. It's only in the first two no chapters. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it was good chatting with you. Yeah, man. I enjoyed this, uh, this um, kind of departure from the norm so far. This was uh, very Absolutely. Actually, yeah. I think it, I feel like it's a lot easier to talk about this, but uh, but we're still going to bring you guys news and shit. But like, I just felt like there was something different this week. So yeah, good. I think, thank you all. Let us know your thoughts and I'll make a real Instagram post, I guess. And Martin, yes. what are you going to do? I am going to go and uh, give my wife a hug and uh, cook and eat dinner. That's what I'm going to do. Loser. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> have right. a good week, everyone.